All right, welcome to Growing Together, a podcast of Central Presbyterian Church. This podcast is about learning to grow together as a family united to Jesus. So, in many ways, this podcast is not unlike being at a family dinner table, around a fire, or any other places families gather. So, welcome. Take a seat, and let's get going. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Growing Together. Uh, we're excited to explore what makes Central Central. I'm Cole Escher, and I'm a pastor of college and young adults. And with me is uh, Matt Woodson, the Assistant Director of Student Ministries. Say hello, Matt. Hello. And if you'd like to start a second podcast called Growing Your Beard, uh, I would love to do that as well. Hey, we'll put that in the sponsor notes. Uh, next up is Pam Smith, who is in our communications department. Hello, Pam. Hey, good to be back. Yeah, yeah. No colds this time. Anyways. <laughs> and our guest today is uh, Pastor Charles Godwin. He is the congregational care pastor, the, the congregational care pastor at Central Presbyterian <laughs> Church. Thanks for being here, Charles. Say hello. Hello. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. Nice. We'll hear more about your story in a moment, Charles, but I know you grew up in the church. I know each of us on this podcast had some interaction with church as a young whippersnapper. And so I'd love to ask the group, uh, what is the funniest memory you have about growing up in the church? Or what is the funniest memory you have from early on in the church? And I'll go first just to give you an example of some ridiculousness of my life. So I didn't grow up going to church, but I would get invited all the time to go to church at my friend's little tiny Methodist church down the road. And it was great because they had food, which was really great. They had some games. It was a, a fairly older congregation, so it was a very interesting situation. So you basically had to sit through the dinner. In order to get the dinner, you had to sit through a service, and that was an awesome, strange situation. Anyways... Sometimes we would stay there late into the night and we'd play tag or hide and go seek or whatever. <laughs> and my friend Curtis, shout out to Curtis if you ever listen to this, doubt he will. But <laughs> my friend Curtis, we're hiding together because I don't know where anything is in this church. And it's like this really old situation. So I'm, I'm hiding with him and he just leans over and whispers in my ear and he goes, this church is haunted. And I was like, what? Haunted? What do you mean haunted? He goes, by the Holy Ghost. I had no reference for that statement. So I literally thought it was haunted, terrified the rest of the evening, thought somebody was coming after me every five minutes. Oh, no. And then later on going, oh, that's the third person. That oh, okay. All right. We're going to not. <laughs> that's embarrassing. So that's the funniest immediate story that I remember of just being like, that's how I was introduced to, I guess, Trinitarian theology, which was interesting. Uh, <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> you got to start somewhere. So anyways, what about y'all? Was there some funny stories for you? Whenever I was growing up, our pastor was doing a baptism and he wanted to quote Psalm 127. He was supposed to say, behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. But he accidentally said, uh, the fruit of the loom is a reward. And uh, no one ever let him live that down. I think people like sometimes bought him underwear just to make him remember. So anytime uh, I'm ever doing any sort of public speaking, I'm always terrified. I'm going to do something like that. 
You just got to get Randy's story. I'm not going to say it here because we can't here on this, uh, this podcast. This is a family show. But a shout out to One Life book out there, Randy Mayfield. Um, it's also a sponsor that he doesn't know that yet. But anyways, right. but yeah, that's funny. Oh, uh, I just remember the very first time. So I was volunteering in the tech ministry at the church that I was at when I was in junior high. And I'd been volunteering for months and I'd done a variety of different things. And they were like, hey, you're here all the time. And the lighting director and the tech director are both going to be out of town on the same week. So why don't you run lights? It's super easy. And I was like, okay, I mean, I'll learn anything. So they show me how to turn the console on and off. And they're like, and you push these, you know, sliders up to make different sets of lights come on and off. And I'm like, cool. <laughs> I get this. And I'm like, so what do I need to do during the service? And they were like, oh, you know, just make things look sort of like this. So, okay. So <laughs> the senior pastor is well. preaching and the first words out of his mouth when he starts the sermon <laughs> was, does it seem a little dark in here? <laughs> I turn oh, every light on. <laughs> like every light and I refused oh. to touch it for the rest of the service I was like 14 and I was oh, like no. I'm never doing this again yeah you promised me this would be easy that's like every volunteer's story unfortunately <laughs> I did the lights too when I first started going to church and they were like oh you just press these buttons I'm like these buttons and I'm doing like strobe lights and it was so much fun and they're like stop it stop it it's a middle of stop it it's a church service not a rave yeah <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was a new Christian, man. I was just trying to make it relevant, you know. That's right. Um, uh, what about you, Charles? I grew up in a church, um, an old church, a lot like Central. Really old building, old sanctuary, you know, big sanctuary. And I grew up sort of as an only child. My brother and sister are twenty and seventeen years older than I am, so they were gone by the time I was in church. And my dad worked on the river, so a lot of time it's just me and my mom around and she sang in the choir so I would often sit by myself or with friends in church and the thing I remember is the glare you know <laughs> if I was not obeying or I was doing something my mom was kind of up in the chancel in the choir loft <laughs> and she told me she was like boy if I have to I will walk out of that choir loft and come get you <laughs> More than one time, I got the glare. You know, it was just a look, and I knew, okay, I better stop what I'm doing right now. I just was thinking about that. I thought, oh, the glare. You know, that was yeah. Yeah, it's terrifying. And, it's a terrifying and, and, and glare. The, and the fear, because my mom would have. She would have totally walked out of that chancel and walked right down there and grabbed me. And then the <laughs> hall of this church, right by where you would walk out, had all these vents. So you could hear anything that was happening in that hallway, you know? So if a parent took their child out, you could hear the, boy, what in the world are you doing? You know, go just all the way down. And, you know, it provided a lot of entertainment and I did not want to be the entertainment. You know? so, that was good. And for the pastors, they figured out how sanctified people were starting to become, I guess. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you heard man. lots of children screaming, walking down that hallway. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Mm -hmm. yeah wait till we get to the car wait till we get to that car that's right uh, so that was my story oh, well it's cool to think about you know even for mine not even being really in the church yet but still having this kind of weird strange fond memory of things in particular the scope of your job charles the fact that you care for 
almost womb to tomb uh, in some ways, right? Um, and so it's pretty incredible, kind of vast group of people. And I think it's cool to think of how Lord's been faithful, even through our ridiculously funny stories mm-hmm. and the glares, the mother glares. <laughs> so we've talked pretty much each time now about uh, the pandemic and to some extent of, I mean, it's on the tip of everybody's tongue. We talked to the student ministries about this and others previously, and I'm curious, what has changed with regards to congregational care, right? It's all of our lives have changed significantly, but what has surprised you in the sense that has been maybe not a mixed blessing, that's not helpful, but like a surprising blessing. Like it was, oh, this is interesting. Didn't expect this to come. And what are the things maybe that we're lamenting and we get to hope and look forward to again once COVID's dead? I don't know when <laughs> the sun's dead. It can die Thanks, a hard man. death. <laughs> so. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I feel like transitioning to doing congregational care on Zoom, like a lot of us have had to do with all of our jobs, has been really interesting. I mean, so much of what I did prior to COVID was meet with people, you know, face-to-face. I mean, we did some phone calls, but it was mostly face-to-face, out somewhere, in a hospital, in someone's home, in my office, in a coffee shop. So much of what I do is sort of try to read where people are, you know, body language and tone of voice and all of that sort of thing. And, you know, that really changed. It wasn't impossible. Thankfully, we were able to make the transition, but it certainly changed things. That's been weird, you know, for sure. I will say my workload has not decreased during COVID. Amen. The flow of it changed. Had to learn a lot about workflow and pacing myself and learning if somebody is willing to do a phone call doing that just to change it up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um When the restrictions lifted a little bit, I would meet outside with folks when the weather was nice or things like that, just trying to change it up a little bit. But I will say that, you know, the pleasant surprise, as you ask about it, is that I feel like people, while they're tired of Zoom and tired of the pandemic, they've adjusted well. And and I do feel like, you know, we've been able to care for people well during this season, even though it's not the way we have always done it for years, right? You know, so I look forward to being able to be back with people face to face. I do feel like it's more effective. Yeah. The body language thing, it's tough. It's hard to figure out. I was in a meeting with some folks for Wash U talking about the kind of caring for college students through all this. And they were saying it is really difficult to see where they're actually at because they can also Mm -hmm. turn their camera off. (laughs) And then also (laughs) you can kind of portray something even on screen that you can't necessarily in person. So it's tough. You know, I said, I read some statistics the other day. It was a study and it was asking young adults who has reached out to you, has a religious figure or a pastor reached out to you during this pandemic. And only like, I think it was 4% said that a religious <laughs> figure has reached out to them. And it's really interesting because for us, what's exciting, and we're not tooting our own horn or anything, but like our shepherding program, that's kind of enacted this way for us to make a big church smaller to some extent. And so I'm excited to talk through that. I was here when there wasn't a congregational care pastor for like seven years or something like that. And and to have you come in, it was an immediate shift to people being heard, cared for a little bit better than they were. Now the people were holding down the fort, they were holding it down, but they were tired. So we're thankful you're here. 
Well, what we want to do kind of in the forefront of this is really get to know more about you. Uh, I think that this podcast, this season is, is talking about why, like, why do we do what we do? But it's always easier to hear someone talk about why when you know that person. <laughs> and so when that's the case, we're able to hear a little bit better. So who is Charles Godwin? Where does he hail from? Who is this man uh, known as <laughs> Charles? So I hail from the great Magnolia State of Mississippi. Was born and raised there, lived there all my life, went to college there, married there, left for a brief foray to come to seminary here in St. Louis, and then back. My first pastorate was actually back in Mississippi as well, and then spent the last 18 years prior to coming to Central in the Atlanta, Georgia area. So most of my family, most of my life was sort of in the southeastern United States. I know I don't have an accent, but, you know. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah, not at all. Yeah, I wouldn't even think of it. I thought you were from started, New York. This is weird. Well, that's what I started to say. I'm from the Northeast, and I thought, well, that won't work. You know, nobody <laughs> will believe that. that so, <laughs> so, yeah, I grew up mostly with my mom. I mean, my parents were married for over 50 years, but my dad worked on the river, so he was home about six months of the year, and then he was gone for about six months of the year. Oh, wow. And we saw him about every other week. So, you know, was pretty much raised by my mom, sometimes my sister as well. She's 17 years older than I am. Grew up in the church, as you mentioned earlier. Did not know Jesus during that time, but I grew up in the church. I knew the gospel. My family, was, they were Christians, you know, baptized as a baby and all of that stuff. But it was really not until I got to college and sort of life as I knew it was not working mm. life yeah. as I was trying to live it. Let me say that, you know, mm. in some ways it felt like sort of, I was one person at college and one person when I went back home, yep. I guess, you know? Yep. And so, um, but was confronted with the gospel through the ministry of RUF when I was in college, you know, that passage in first John that says, if you walk in the darkness, but you say you walk in the light, you lie and the truth is not in you, you know? Mm. And, for whatever reason, in God's kindness, that struck me at a Bible study, and I thought, okay, this this is who I am. I live this way here and live this way here, and I thought I was a pretty good guy. You know, probably in a lot of people's eyes, I was. In fact, when I told my mom I'd become a Christian, she was like, well, you've always been a Christian. I'm like, mm. <laughs> Well, we probably need to talk about that. I've got some – I've got a list of some things we should chat about. <laughs> right, you know. But I thought the good on my scales outweighed the bad, and that yeah. was what it was all about. But then God opened my eyes to really this idea that I was a liar. The truth was not in me. But then, you know, the good news, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And I believed and was thankful to be discipled through college ministry and was headed toward med school, decided I would do an RUF internship after college, and then decided I would go to seminary, still thinking I would go to med school. Wow. And I remember touring Covenant Seminary, and I was telling the guy, well, I'm only going to be here a year or so, and then I'm going to med school. And he was like, well, seminary will make you a better doctor, not a worse one, you know? And I was like, okay. But got to Covenant, started going to classes, doing ministry in a local church, Covenant Presbyterian Church here in St. Louis, wow. and God changed my direction. You know, people yeah. in my life saying, you really should consider going into pastoral ministry. Mm. You'd be a good pastor, a good communicator. You'd love people well. Why don't you do that? And in many ways, those were the reasons I wanted to be a doctor. 
I wanted to care for people. So I made the change, decided to pursue an MDiv, went to seminary here, and then ended back in church ministry in Mississippi. And I will say that first pastoral position, I was an associate pastor in a college church. I learned more about pastoral ministry under that senior minister in those four years that really shaped who I am today. He just was, he was there for people. You know, when you think about the words, deeds, and presence of Jesus, he was the presence of Jesus. I really think that shaped how I do ministry today. I feel like just being present with people and their good and bad and the hurts and difficulties is what I love doing and, and sharing the hope of the gospel in the midst of that. So yeah, I'm married. That's the best thing in my life besides Jesus, um, <laughs> for sure. Great. She's, She's pretty, pretty great. great. She is. Yeah. Um, Pam is my wife. Not this Pam, um, but Pam <laughs> yeah. Godwin is my wife. Surprise! Surprise! Plot twist. <laughs> right. We have been married for 26 years and going on. We have four great kids. Our daughter Elizabeth is 25, and she's a teacher in Atlanta. Our son Thomas actually is here. He's in graduate school at SLU doing a master's in social work. Our daughter Catherine's a sophomore at Vanderbilt. And then our daughter Amy Claire is here with us, and she is a junior at Westminster. Nice. That's our crew. So far, we all love being together and still love being together. And, you know, the more you get to know me, you know, family means a lot to us. And um, yeah. we, we love our kids. We love being together, and we're very thankful for that. It's, it's yeah. interesting that uh, Pam is a teacher. You got another teacher, and you got someone's working mm-hmm. in social work. Have you guys been very intentional about cultivating that nurturing side of your kids, or did that just happen by God's grace? I think it happened by God's grace. I mean, it is who Pam and I are, both in our vocation and in our home. I would say so. I certainly think that part was nurtured in them, but I think it was. God's grace that they want to be in those type of careers. And we'll see where our latter two, you know, want to end up as well. You know, Amy's so. going to be a lumberjack. So, that's <laughs> right, good. Right. so she's going to, she's going to even it all out. I think. Um, right, right. You know, with each of our kids, we've said, Oh, go be a doctor, go be a lawyer, build my lake house, build my beach house. You know, since, <laughs> and, since, uh, you know that's not going to happen on a preacher budget. And, um, yeah, and a for, teacher yeah. budget. And, uh, you know, then Elizabeth decides to become a teacher and Thomas is a social worker. So we're still holding out that Catherine and Amy might be the lawyer or doctor. (laughs) They can build that family beach home. (laughs) (laughs) Next time that that Amy's at a youth group, I'll go ahead and be like, hey, yeah, do you know that Jesus really, really (laughs) loves physician he's even called the good physician yeah the great yeah, the great Amen. Physician, you just, yeah. <laughs> put that plug in we'll maintain it for you that'll be our retirement home year round yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> yeah. just consider us uh caretakers of Amen, uh, right? this property <laughs> oh man oh. well so you were here in st louis for seminary and then moved away and now you're back i guess you get like a two-parter of this to some extent what was your favorite thing about St. Louis when you were in seminary and when uh, you were here? And then answer the question of what is your favorite thing now about St. Louis? And it could be the same thing, I guess, you know, but that'd be a little boring. So spice yeah, it up, yeah. Charles, spice it up. <laughs> oh, gotcha. <laughs> um, you know, Grunt, Mississippi, we didn't quite do the hockey thing, right? Yeah. But when I was in St. Louis before, it was before the new arena was built. 
I'm actually, I was here when the old arena mm, was yep. demolished and the new one built. But I went to hockey games when they were in the old, what they called the arena. You know, yep. they were cheap. You could sit in those upper level seats for seminary students. It was easy to go to a hockey game when they were in that arena. I actually got to go to a Stanley Cup playoff game in that arena when they were playing the Blackhawks. Oh, wow. So great memory there. That was sort of a fun experience. We were more of a baseball family growing up, so the fact that I got to be in town with the Cardinals was a big deal. My grandmother was a huge baseball fan, so got to bring her to St. Louis and take her to a Cardinals game. That was super fun. I was single for part of my seminary career, lived with a great group of guys, and so just had a good experience being in a new place with those guys. But now, I mean, I love, I still love the Cardinals and the Blues, but I don't know. I love the history of St. Louis. You know, my wife is from South Louisiana, so Baton Rouge, Cajun land. You know, the fact that St. Louis, especially in the Soulard area, has a little sort of Cajun Mardi Gras flair, that's a lot of fun. Yeah. Great food in St. Louis, great, great food, especially on the hill. So, yeah, those are things that I like now. Pam and I are sort of foodies. We like to go out and try new things. And so, you know, lots of fun places in St. Louis to eat for sure. Yeah. What's your favorite place? Oh gosh, um, one of your favorite places. <laughs> easy, <laughs> easy, Taco Buddha. I was gonna say our favorite takeout place is Taco Buddha for sure. Uh, A- it's Amen. about two blocks from my house, you know. Yeah, that's for sure our favorite takeout place. I love Zia's Canetto's mm-hmm. on the hill. You know, both of those are great places too. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you grow up a Cardinals fan or were you a Braves fan? Mostly a Braves fan um, growing up, but quickly became a Cardinals fan. My grandmother, she was probably a diehard Braves fan, but she also watched the Cubs, sadly, on um, (laughs) (laughs) what was that? WGN was the Chicago channel that used to get broadcast. TBS, she watched the Braves, WGN, you know, but she loved the Cardinals too. And so it was really fun to bring her here and have her watch a game, you know, at the Cardinals stadium too. And I will say now I have transitioned. I am a Cardinals fan, you know, um, I root for the Cardinals over the Braves, <laughs> much to the chagrin of some of my family who still do not. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Same here. I was born outside of Atlanta. I still have family members who will not forgive me for switching my allegiance. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. None of us are perfect. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I just find it really interesting because so in Knoxville, where I'm from, it was a given that you were raised as the closest, you know, major league team to you. But my wife, Kurt, she was born in Memphis and they're Cardinals mostly. And it's so interesting how there's this weird left and down from from Memphis (laughs) is all Braves and then Memphis up (laughs) is Cardinals. Mm -hmm. It was a very different situation. It took me a couple of years to transition to, okay, I like this Cardinals thing. I got green seats one time and I was like, okay, this is okay. I'm a Cards fan. Um, (laughs) So you hear that. Any sponsors out there? Green seats. That's uh, that's where I'm going. Going for it. Um, Hashtag at me. Yeah, St. Louis is pretty great. And most people's answers have been uh, the free stuff, which is awesome, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. especially oh, yeah. with kids and then having family come in and stuff. You have all these options to do things without having to shell out a bajillion bucks. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So this might seem like a random question, but it's one of our favorite ones here at Growing Together Podcast. 
It's what is something in your Google search history that would tell us something about you? And if that doesn't help, what was a recent targeted ad that you got that might let us know a little bit more about you? It's a great question. Um, so if you look in the bookmarks on my phone, the things that I bookmark the most are cooking pages. I love mm. to cook. You know, if I see a recipe, whether it's on Facebook or an ad that pops up on Facebook or something, I just usually bookmark it and think, I'm going to save that for later. And that's the most ads I see on Facebook are cooking ads, you know, for different recipes. Um, I like to watch the videos of the person cooking a dish, and I'm like, okay, that looks really good, or that's too yep. hard. I don't have time for that, you know. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, in fact, today I did our grocery list this morning and pulled up a couple of recipes. I'm like, oh, we'll try that this week. We'll try that, you know. So, yeah, Pam and I, we laugh about it because she's like, I'm glad for you to cook, and I'll clean the kitchen all the time. Although she's a great cook. Yeah. But she doesn't love doing it, and I really do like it. Yeah. Yeah. That's how our home is. Kurt doesn't really like to cook at all. I was a cook for 10 years, so this is normal for me. So mm -hmm. she does the dishes, although she doesn't love the dishes, which is understandable because <laughs> no one does. Yeah. It's, it's one of those funny moments where, like, you know you're not supposed to buy your wife a vacuum for, like, Christmas. <laughs> Something, like, cleaning-oriented. You know you're not supposed to. But when you do, it's a train wreck for the first 20 minutes. And then they realize that, oh, yeah, this is necessary. That was how we were with the dishwasher. I was like, here's a dishwasher we got you. She's like, oh, oh no. <laughs> but then it's like, okay, that's really great. <laughs> so, that's right. That's right. Well, you know, Pam's a teacher, a kindergarten teacher at that. So, you know, that's chaos world, right? Mm -hmm. All day long, every day. So there's something for her about cleaning the kitchen at the end of the night that's like, oh, this is one thing in my life that I can create order for yep. because I don't have order in a five-year-old classroom at all. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. My, my wife's the same way. She's a kindergarten teacher as well. Uh, well, I think we learned a little bit about the Charles Godwin. Charles and I actually had a random connection through a friend of mine from seminary who worked with Charles yeah. in, in Atlanta. So I got to kind of hear a lot of funny stories, which I, I won't share right here. <laughs> That'd be good. But yeah. it's fun. <laughs> so I was really excited to have you come. So your role as congregational care pastor, we've heard a little bit about your heart and actually who God has created you to be, uh, which is really interesting. You talked about in the framework of you wanting to be a physician or at least go to medical school to figure out what that was going to look like. I've actually had multiple conversations with young adults who are especially college students who are trying to figure out how to place these passions they have of what it looks like to put into a vocation. And so I think it's really interesting that God has led you to give you this sense of care and compassion for people. And he goes, actually, I have a place for you here. Check this out. <laughs> it's pretty cool. So I guess, can you describe for us what is congregational care at our church? Uh, what does it kind of entail? I don't think any of us would question whether it's significant or not, because <laughs> it's absolutely necessary. But the question is, what makes it significant for you? What do you see as the benefits of this work? Well, you alluded to a moment ago, our shepherding ministry. That's a big piece of congregational care at Central, and was certainly something that was really attractive to me about coming here. We had started a shepherding ministry at both of my previous churches where I served, 
with a very similar structure that Central had. So when the search committee reached out to me and said, hey, we're starting the shepherding ministry and here's what it's going to look like, I was already bought in because it was something we were doing um, in our previous church and really had seen the benefits of it. I mean, it's a benefit for a smaller church, but even a church like Central, it's got over a thousand members, right? And people can easily fall through the cracks and do at times. Having a ministry where someone is intentionally trying to reach out to someone and just say, I'm not trying to be another Bible study for you. I'm not trying to be another small group for you. I'm just trying to be a person for you, a point of contact for you at Central to know that someone cares for you, someone wants to pray for you, someone wants to hear your concerns if you have them, someone wants to connect you if you need to be connected. So the fact that Central has 53 flocks, our congregation is divided into 53 flocks, and so we have 53 elder shepherds and 50 more, I think 56 lay shepherds, most of those are women serving to care for our congregation is a big deal. You know, I would have had no interest in coming to a church like Central if they had not had a ministry like this and they expected one person to do all of the pastoral care. It's just not feasible and not realistic and certainly can't imagine going through what we are going through and have gone through in the last year without a shepherding ministry. I've told friends of mine who are in this same position in other churches if we had had to create some sort of elaborate phone tree or something to care for people during this season, but we didn't have to because God and his kindness had allowed this ministry to be in place and be functioning for over two years before this pandemic happened. Yeah. So I spend a lot of my time shepherding our shepherds. They need somebody to take care of them too. So um, I would say probably 60% of my time is spent just trying to care for them as they're trying to care for the church. But then I do care for church members. I do visitation. I talk to people on the phone. I counsel with people. I make referrals to folks to other resources in the community that are helpful for them for care. And then we have this whole compassion and care side of ministry that goes on in our church that works with our deacons, things like ministry to widowed people, our grief share ministry, our divorce care ministry. We started a career care ministry during covid trying to help people that were displaced with jobs to find jobs. Um, Our ministry to families and people that have special challenges and special needs, a mental health, mental wellness ministry, you know, and then there's some others. We were thinking about starting a recovery ministry in the next year, Lord willing, a ministry that's directed directly to caring for people that are dealing with cancer. We have a lot of folks in our church that are doing that. You know, congregational care is sort of the hub for all things wedding and memorial service at Central doesn't mean that I do all of them. I don't. I do a lot of premarital counseling and do some weddings, but when folks want to get married or buried Mm -hmm. (laughs) through Central, congregational care is sort of the starting point there, too. So it's a lot of stuff, a lot of fun, a lot of hard. You know, it can be really emotionally tiring, but for me, it feels like the culmination of a career. I think God really has been so kind to allow me to come here and Lord willing, finish my ministry career at Central doing congregational care, because it really feels like just sort of the fulfillment of all the things that I've done in my career history ministry-wise, and so I love getting up and doing what I do every day, most days. (laughs) (laughs) I get that. Well, that's awesome. Um, Sometimes congregational care can seem, mainly because we have ministries that are so narrowed to almost Asian stage at times, right? The affinity kind of situation. 
which is actually really good when you're spread out. In many ways, it's kind of that precursor for shepherding teams because we realize that, you know, once you become adult, you just don't disappear. Like you still need help. <laughs> so, so you may not have a student ministry for you, but you're going to need somebody to take care of you or to, to pursue you. I'm curious. So the work that I do, the work that Matt does, we have specific age groups and we're tasked to work with these. So I'm curious to, what would you say to kind of a young adult or even a student of what the value of the church is for them in this regard, uh, especially in regards to care? I mean, we know the theological constructs of our faith, at least that's what we're pretending we all know at this point. (laughs) But the question of just going, what does the church have to do with me now? Yeah. You know, the thing that comes to my mind is there's a verse in Ecclesiastes that says two are better than one. For when one falls down, his friend can help him up, but pity the one who falls and has no one to help him up. I think there's something really significant about being in a community and being known, known in the good and in the bad times, and to be cared for and loved, not to be isolated, not to be shunned when you're a mess, because we're all a mess at different times and in various ways. So for someone to see that lived out in such a way that when they do hit their mess, and they will, and they do, they feel safe to be able to come to someone in the church and say, I need help. Please care for me. You know, I will say in my own personal spiritual journey and in mine and Pam's marriage and raising our kids, There have been times when we've hit walls spiritually, emotionally. We've hit walls with life and circumstances. And, you know, sometimes church was about all that it felt like was going on for us spiritually. It's hard to read our Bible, hard to pray, hard to engage with Jesus. And yet that constant, let me go worship on Sunday or let me go have dinner on Wednesday night and sing in the choir, whatever we do. You know, God brought us through, through that connection to the church and has brought us through dark times and continues to do that. And I think, you know, sitting in my seat, not only do I experience it personally at times, but I also get to see God do that for people in our Mm. church. And that's people of all ages, you know, like you said, from cradle to the grave, you know. You wear a lot of hats, but it sounds like the hat that you like the most is probably shepherding the shepherds. Is that fair to say? It is, you know, when, when I was hired, And you alluded to, Cole, I believe, that Central had been without a congregational care pastor for a while, but had had some great folks keeping it together, people like Eric Schmidt. God bless him. Mm -hmm. So thankful for him and still so thankful for him. He still does a lot of care work in our church. But there was a real desire to see a lot of these compassion and care ministries happen, but it was like, I can't lead all of these. I can resource them. I can be a liaison. But... The fact that in the last two and a half years, God has raised up from our church people that are so enthusiastic and passionate about grief share or divorce care ministry or mental health ministry, I don't think I expected it to happen like that, that quickly at least. You know, I wanted to see it happen, but the fact that God has brought these things together, I love partnering with those ministries. I feel like we have great lay leadership of those ministries. It's really fun to interact with them and hear their stories. Not a week goes by that I don't get a story from Jenny Eads from Grief Share saying how guys at work or somebody in the mental health ministry saying, man, this is something exciting that's going on. 
just so thankful. I do love our shepherding ministry, and I believe in it, and I love one-on-one care with people, but I also love interacting with those care ministries. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, this is probably a little like inside baseball, but, you know, we've definitely purposefully and intentionally tried to create some of these care ministries, but a lot of these were people that just immediately picked up and were really passionate and just really decided that they were going to take care of these specific people. And that's one of the greatest things that I've seen you work at is helping people just find their passion for caring for people. Yeah. yeah, I do love that. It's a lot of fun. I never thought about that as like, I mean, it sounds weird, but I never really thought about that as a role as a congregational care pastor at first, but it's care in and of itself. It is a shepherding moment. I'm just imagining like the sheepdog, right? Going around, <laughs> making sure everybody's corralled inside. That's kind of like, and not in like a domineering way, but in like, you can do this. Right. I think of the church mm-hmm. that's so needed because I think we... I don't know, we can get stuck thinking that the professional staff, you know, air quote, professional staff (laughs) do all the work. They can. I don't know how fruitful that's going to be in the long run. It's going to burn somebody out real quick. And I think the cool thing is that from the get go, it's an encouraging of people and watching some of these folks get so excited about doing this stuff. And it's so great. You know, there's times where you have to go, okay, just take a breath. Let's get a better vision. But it doesn't even matter because the excitement's there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. it's cool. And the outreach ability that we have to care for our community, you know, divorce care and grief share and all stuff is not necessarily going to reach people who know Jesus. Right. Which is. Oh, absolutely. What a great opportunity. (laughs) Yeah. In fact, most of those groups are a handful of central people, but mostly people from our community. I'm so thankful. And, you know, sometimes it's a lot easier, even if you are a church person. When you're going through something, especially like a divorce that can be so isolating, sometimes it's easier to connect with people that are from other faith communities in and around your town, even if you say, this is my church, right? That's the beauty of broader community and broader Jesus followers helping people to pursue him and connect with him. Yeah, I've been really thankful to see that, too, and I anticipate that with our recovery ministry that we'll probably start in the next year. I think that'll probably have more of an outreach effect than an in-reach effect, you know, in many ways. Yeah. Yeah. So we talked a little bit about shepherded teams and whatnot. For folks who may not be, like, ingrained already into that kind of system or folks who aren't members yet or folks who are just going like, how do you get one of those? I want one of those. Um, <laughs> how would one get one, Charles? That was weird. How would one get one? Right. Like buy, buy one, get one. <laughs> so I would say this. Typically, when someone goes through the discovery and membership process of joining Central, they are assigned a shepherd at the end of that process if they join the church. That's kind of an automatic that happens Children of members are basically assigned to the same shepherd that their parents are in. But in a church the size of Central and just with the busyness of life, I know that there are people in our church that maybe have received phone calls from shepherds that they haven't taken the call because they don't recognize the number or they've heard the message from somebody, but they don't really remember their shepherd's name. So I would say if someone wants to be connected to their shepherd, but they're like, I don't even know who my shepherd is, or do I have a shepherd? All they have to do is reach out to me and, you know, I'll be glad to help them get connected with their shepherd. Like I said, there've been 
a lot of phone calls made. Some have been successful. Some haven't. So there are times where someone's like, I don't even know who my shepherd is. Help, you know, and we'll try to get yeah. them connected. At this point, because we're still developing the ministry, non-members don't have shepherds right now. But if they want to get connected, we will try to help them get connected in some ways, even if it's getting into the discovery and membership process so we can get them to become a member and connected to our church and get connected into our shepherding ministry that yeah. way. Also. Yeah. yeah, that's hopeful. Yeah, it's interesting. We've had a lot of conversations about what does that look like? How do we get folks connected? Like college students, it's really difficult to figure out. They're likely going to be here four years. So how do we take care of them. So those conversations are being had. So I think it's super encouraging. It's unlike any well, other church I've ever been in. Well, and the heart of our shepherding ministry, and particularly our oversight team that oversees it, is we want to get to a place where one day we have enough shepherds in place that even sort of regular attender non-members can be plugged into flocks. We're not there yet, but we want to be there. You know, that yeah. is the heart of that team. If somebody's attending Central regularly, even if it's just their church for four years while they're in college or they're here on a temporary job detail, but they're here regularly, we want to get them connected there. You know, like mm -hmm. I said, we're not quite at the manpower resources yet to do yeah. that, but definitely that's the heart of the ministry for sure. It's a pretty big ask to some extent. I mean, like you said, like 56 groups or something like that. And that's just covering current members <laughs> mostly. I know. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a big yeah. ask. So, anybody looking to be shepherds, <laughs> holler at Charles. Yes, so, please. So sponsored by the Flock Oversight Committee. Um, so, well, we've been asking this question, Clay shared the mission and vision of the church in the, our first episode, and it was really helpful, really clear understanding, okay, what are we doing here? Why are we here? Hence, why, the question why of this season. And so we've been talking about each kind of area, figuring out, okay, where do they fit within that mission and vision, and what is that looking like? And it's probably pretty obvious about mission and vision of the congregational care, in my thought, you know, transformation and taking care of people and belonging, you're creating that. But this year in particular, we have this annual mission and vision is intentional discipleship and evangelism. And I'm curious, how are you seeing, even in the midst of the weirdest time any of us have, have known, right? What are you seeing in light of these annual mission and vision stuff? What are you hoping for this year in regards to our goals? Yeah, um, I'm thankful you asked me that. I think that from my perspective, especially doing congregational care, one of the things in our shepherding ministry particularly we talk about is that value of connecting, helping people get connected. You know, there's connecting. We say what I think the three pillars are connecting, growing, and serving that fall yep. under our vision statement of transformation through renewal in Christ. And then we have those five pillars, worship, intentional discipleship, missions, persistent prayer. Um, Sincere community. Yeah, sincere community, right, yeah. And I think our shepherding ministry and our congregational care ministry hopefully sort of can encourage and help people connect, especially this year, both of those things. We do four shepherd trainings a year, and we invited Pastor Mike to come and talk about the new Grow Group program with our shepherds, yeah. both to encourage if there were any shepherds that wanted to lead a Grow Group or be a part of a Grow Group, they could, but also it just gives them a tool in their toolbox as they're talking to church members at least quarterly to say, 
hey, there's this new ministry going on. You ought to consider being involved in it in this way. I think you'd be a good leader. I think we all need to both be discipling and be discipled, right? Yeah, amen. And then the same thing, you know, our flock oversight team talked about our next upcoming training, getting Pastor Ben to come and talk about the Christianity Explored program that he's trying to help equip our church. I would love to see a lot of our shepherds go through that as they think about ministering in their own neighborhoods. But then also, we have such a resource of getting information out to people and helping people in our church get connected to these big rocks, if you will, of sort of intentional discipleship and evangelism that I hope our shepherds, I believe they are, are trying to both be connected to those things themselves and then help people get connected to them also. Yeah, that's great. I love the interconnectedness of just working together, partnering together Mm -hmm. and doing just the work of the church together and not just random separate entities within it. So it's super cool. I mean, just on this call, you literally have almost every section of our church, (laughs) at least in regards to our e-mission, i-mission, communication, worship, all that. We all get to work together, which is really, really cool. Well, as we go out today, I do want to ask, what have you found super hopeful? Like what kind of gets you up right now? It's hard to get up. It's hard to get up in general. Sometimes you get a little groggy, a little tired. What got you up at, you know, whatever time you did, like what gets you up today? Yeah. Um, there's always people that need, and you heard me say it early on in our conversation, the presence of Jesus. Mm. I need the presence of Jesus. I need people to be present, walking with me, encouraging me to believe when I can't believe. Mm. I'm believing for me when I can't believe, you know, telling me, hey, Charles, you might not believe that today, but I believe it for you. I believe it with you, mm. praying with and for me. And, you know, I really love doing that with other people. And I obviously love receiving that from people yeah. too, you know. Um, so, you know, that gets me up. I think another thing is we're now three years into our shepherding ministry, hearing from our shepherds. You know, I got an email the other day from one of our shepherds and was like, Charles, the coolest thing happened. I had been reaching to this person for the last three years, making my quarterly phone call, leaving a voicemail, never hearing back from them, you know. And then lo and behold, the other day I got a phone call and they said, will you pray for me? I'm getting ready to have surgery. Mm. And he was like, it's working. This person who I really didn't know, but they were still in our church. When they had a concern, when they had a struggle, when they needed somebody to pray with them, they picked up the phone and called me because I had been leaving these messages. And so our shepherds are getting more enthusiastic and encouraged as they are connecting with folks. I think that's really fun to see God do that too. You know, as you mentioned early on, it does help a large church like Central feel smaller when somebody says, I know somebody I can call that will care for me and does care for me. Yes. So, yeah. 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 I so appreciate you sharing all of this, Charles. Um, it's really encouraging to hear. If people want to reach out to you, how can they reach out to you? You know, the best way is probably just to shoot me an email. Probably the simplest way, even rather than using my name, is to email our care address, C-A-R-E at centralpres.com. That comes to me as well as to Tina, who works with me. But you can also email me directly at cgodwin at centralpres.com. Yeah. Nice. Awesome. Well, I appreciate your time. This is encouraging. You know, it's good to know uh, that we have places where people are taken care of. 
I heard one time it was, uh, it's the moment where Jesus sends Peter out and says, go strengthen the brothers is go out there and just do, do the work that I call you to do. And that term strengthen is like, hold the arms up of people, like yeah. hold your people's arms up, uh, and walk mm-hmm. together. I just love that, you know, sharing one another's burdens and being yeah. a family in, in many ways. So I appreciate the work you've done or the work you're doing. And so thankful to, to hear it from you. If you want to reach out to Charles, please do. And yeah, thanks for taking the time to chat with us today, Charles. I've loved it. Thank you for inviting me. It's been a lot yeah, of fun. Yeah. Well, those listening, thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for being with us today. It's good to be together. If you want to find out more about Central Prez, uh, please go to our website at centralprez.com or find us on all the social media things with the handle at CPCSTL. Join us next time as we continue to learn and grow together uh, into the family of God. Blessings, friends.